Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's continue our study of the book of Genesis with chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty blighted ears by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. 
The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. The doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over all my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was thirty years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have another familiar passage for most, as these stories around Joseph tend to be some of the better known in the book of Genesis. Joseph is going to end up interpreting some more dreams. He's done two for the bearer, cupbearer and the baker. He's going to do two more here for Pharaoh. 
There is a great deal of similarity between this and the dreams that Daniel will interpret for King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. You can find those Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 4. It might be a, a good parallel text to read today as you read chapter 41 here. That you go and look at how those dreams are similar and how the king handles them, but also different. Both Daniel and Joseph interpreting those dreams for the kings handled them very well, handled them very similarly, sharing with the king that it is not them, but it is God alone who has the ability to interpret dreams. And in both cases, as it was in much of the ancient world, there is the understanding that dreams actually are meaningful, and that sometimes the gods would give dreams in order to give you insight into what was to come, or warning into what was coming. Now, we would recognize that there weren't gods, plural, but that there is only one God. However, uh, they would have their courts filled with magicians and sorcerers of various kinds, practitioners of dark arts, we might say. And sometimes they could indeed interpret dreams. The devil is powerful, and he's not afraid to lend his power to people if it will help deceive, right? Making the magicians proud of their own power, making a king like Pharaoh uh, think that there are other gods in the world than the one true God. So the devil likes to work in such manner. We're starting to see more of that in our own American culture as we have the rise of things like Satanism directly or even witchcraft within the the religion of Wicca uh, that is, last I heard, three million Americans. That's a sizable number. So I'm not going to cover too much of the details of the dreams themselves as we get the dream and then Joseph interprets it. and It's very straightforward. We have seven years of famine that are going to follow seven years of great plenty. Um, instead, we'll look at some of the other details in the text, starting with two whole years. Two whole years since the incident with the cupbearer and the baker in the prison where Joseph interpreted their dreams He had asked the cupbearer to remember him and to mention him to Pharaoh, and he has forgotten. Two years he's been left in that prison. Now, he's been in there longer. We don't know how long. We know his time in Potiphar's house and the prison combined is going to be 13 years. We learn that actually later in this text, but that's as far as we know. So, Pharaoh has these two dreams. They give him great trouble. Again, he believes in this superstitious idea that is normal in his time that these dreams do have meaning. And in this case, they actually do because God has given them to him. However, as he summons all the wise men and all the magicians of Egypt, no one can interpret the dream for him. This is the same magician word that will be used about Pharaoh's court in the book of Exodus. Those magicians who begin at the start of the ten plagues by copying a couple of the plagues, until finally they, they run out of the ability to do so. Their power is, again, limited because their power is based in Satan and not in God. God's power has no end. So at this point, the chief cupbearer, being in Pharaoh's court, uh, he finally remembers Joseph. I remember my offenses today. And so we get a bit of a summary of chapter 40. Uh, from our text from yesterday. One offense here is that he has wronged Pharaoh, which got him thrown in prison. The other is he's now wronged Joseph, who had asked him to remember him and mention him to Pharaoh. So he's writing that wrong two years later uh, by speaking of 
Joseph to Pharaoh. So he talks about the young man who was able to interpret both his dream and the baker's dream. And as he said it would happen, so it came about. I was restored, the baker was hanged. So having heard this, Pharaoh, you can imagine excited, sends for Joseph to be brought to him to interpret his dream. Joseph is made presentable first. So he's cleanly shaved and then he is also put into fresh clothing so that he looks like he belongs in Pharaoh's court rather than just a a grungy man who's been working in the prison. He comes before Pharaoh and Pharaoh, Pharaoh does what you'd expect. He says that he believes Joseph can interpret his dream. That's what he's heard. Joseph corrects him, which is not a Not a simple thing to do, right? You're standing before possibly the greatest king in the world at the moment, at that time of history. But he he simply says, it is not in me. So Joseph does not have the ability to interpret the dream. However, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. The word favorable there is actually the Hebrew word shalom. It's one that a lot of people will recognize. It is the common Hebrew greeting that they would use with one another. It typically means peace. So I guess you could say he gave him a peaceable answer. Um, Complete could be another way to look at it. God will give you a complete answer. He will not withhold from you. Might be a a good, good way to understand this word here as well. No one could explain it to me. So Pharaoh recounts his dreams, but there was no answer. As Joseph then reveals this, it's worth noting a couple of things. The two dreams are the same. The repetition of the dream is God's way of declaring it is set, it is firm, it is going to happen. This is in contrast to the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar has in the book of Daniel, where, for example, Daniel chapter 4, the dream is that God is going to uh, basically kick Nebuchadnezzar out of his own kingdom, make him like a wild man, like a wild beast in the wilderness until he learns to repent and trust in God alone, that God is king and not be so prideful. When that dream is described to Daniel and Daniel interprets it, Daniel will end up afterwards giving the king advice that is essentially repent. And the dream doesn't end up coming to pass for a year afterwards, that maybe Nebuchadnezzar temporarily did repent, but eventually at Nebuchadnezzar's pride, the dream is brought to happen. In this case, though, there's no advice about repenting because, as Joseph has said, the thing is fixed by God. This is going to happen. Just as the final day is fixed by God, it's going to come. There's no getting out of that. We ought to repent before that comes, by the way. As a Christian, we repent every day. It is worth pointing out also, verse 28, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. This is by God's hand. This is by God's power. And God is going to work to save the people. And it will display God's greatness to this king, to his servants, to all the earth, that they will know that there is a God who cares and provides. Think about it. The normal way of providing for ourselves, we think we provide for ourselves. We plant our seed, grow our crop, harvest our crop, we eat it year in, year after year. There's going to be seven years where this doesn't happen. Seven years where you can try to plant if you want, but nothing's going to grow. The famine will be so severe. 
and yet there will still be food because God provides. That's something for us as Christians to remember also to this day, that it is God who provides even for us. However, even though the years of plenty will be so plentiful, and the years of famine will be so severe, that the years of plenty will be forgotten. This is a good spot for a family conversation. How quickly and how easily do we sometimes forget the good gifts that God gives to us? And we certainly can be very quick to do so. It's our sinful nature. We, we like to focus on the negative. This is why the news, if you turn on the news, is mostly stories that are negative. We focus on that rather than the positive. We remember how bad the stock market crash was in a time like the Great Depression, or even in 2008, when we forget to recall how prosperous things were in the times around those crashes. We focus on the negative. Now, so Joseph begins to advise Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't ask for that, but Joseph does it anyway, that he would find a wise and discerning man setting him over Egypt to take a fifth of the produce, so one out of every five pieces of of grain for the next seven years, store it up so that it will be ready to care for the people in the years of famine, so that the land may not perish. Verse 37, Pharaoh and all his servants are pleased by Joseph's proposal. It sounds like faith. It sounds like they believe. That would certainly be the work of the Holy Spirit if that is the case. And they recognize that they are looking for one in whom is the Spirit of God. That's a singular word here, although it could still be lowercase g, not capital. Um, It could be one of their own gods, like Ra, for example. But there's hints of maybe a faith here. We can't say it for certain, um, but maybe. Pharaoh picks Joseph to be that man. Because God has made this known to him, he sets Joseph in charge of all of Egypt, with the exception of Pharaoh's own throne. He's second in command over all of Egypt. This is beginning to bring to pass the dreams Joseph himself had had back in chapter 37 that his family, his father, his brothers would be bowing down to him. Joseph is given the signet ring. So that's a sign, a symbol of royal power that he can make royal decrees, the king's decrees. He's also dressed in fine, fine attire making it look like he belongs in the king's court. And then he is given the king's second chariot to ride. I do find that fascinating. This is the first time the word chariot appears in scripture. And who is on it? Joseph, one of the Jews. Because, why it's fascinating, they don't have chariots until really after King David. It's going to be his sons that start to bring chariots into popularity for the Israelites. And Up until that point, Israel doesn't have them, and they fear the enemies who have them because it's a sign of their great power over them. But yet, the first one to ride a chariot in the Bible is Joseph. Anyway, the people will bow the knee just like they would before their king. Verse 45, Pharaoh changes Joseph's name to Zaphonath-Paneah. We don't know precisely what that means. There's debate about several possibilities, so we won't go into that. He gave him a wife, Asnath, Asnath, however you want to pronounce it, 
And, and Asenath means belonging to the goddess Nath in Egyptian. The daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. On is another name for the city of Heliopolis. Helio, a reference to the sun, city of the sun. So it's believed Potiphera is a priest of the sun god Ra. That's the traditional understanding here. And in this case, this is a royal thing. This is who the pharaohs would turn to. This is the, the priestly family here is who they would turn to for their own wives. And Pharaoh takes a wife for Joseph from that, that family. So this is very high praise. Joseph, we learn, is 30 years old at the time. So he was 28 when he interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. He was 17 when he was sold as a slave. 13 years in slavery in Egypt, but no more. Intriguing here because that's the same age, 30, when priests would begin their service. Numbers chapter 4 says that. But also it's the same time when Jesus is baptized and begins his earthly ministry in the future. So a bit of foreshadowing going on here. Joseph will store up the grain until it could not be measured. The actual Hebrew phrase, as I translated it, came out until he ceased to count for there was not number. There was not a number. It almost sounds like he ran out of Egyptian numbers to use. So great was the abundance. We're not talking about a small amount. This is going to be used to feed the earth for the next seven years. So a great abundance. This is God's miracle at work. Two sons are born to him by his wife, Asnath. Uh, one, Manasseh, which means caused to forget in Hebrew, and the other, Ephraim, which means make fruitful. In both of these, Joseph is giving thanks to God for giving him Children also giving thanks to God for caring for him through all these years. As the famine then begins, the people come to Pharaoh. Pharaoh sends them to Joseph, and Joseph sells them food. Notice it's not a gift. That's going to be important as the chapters roll forward, and the people themselves will end up slaves to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. But for now, we see Joseph providing food to all the earth. This was the reason God has been working toward. This is why Joseph endured the things he has. God was planning to use him to serve the nations, to care for his people, to care for his creation. Joseph, here in that way, can be a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the one man through whom God will care for all the nations by the pouring out of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Let us praise the Lord. Christ, you suffer.